Now turn with me tonight in your Bible to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And I'm going to read from the verse 16. I already read this. I think it was Wednesday night in the prayer and Bible study meeting. We thought about this in regards to <coughs> prayer. Tonight I'm going to try and take it in its context. So Genesis chapter 4, the very first book of the Bible. Of course, Genesis means beginning. Here we have a record of the beginning of things, the beginning of creation, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of a family. Genesis chapter 4, verse 16, let's hear the word of the Lord. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he builded a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mehujael, and Mehujael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech, and Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah, and Adah bare Jabal. He was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as of cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and the organ. And Zillah, she also bare Jubalcain, and instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Jubalcain was Naema. And Lamech said unto his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. <coughs> For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son. And he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 26. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this evening is taken from Genesis chapter 4 verse 26 especially the latter part of the text then began men to call upon the name of the Lord and that's my theme tonight 
Then began men to call on the name of the Lord. The opening chapters of Genesis, of which I take literally and believe to be historically true, as to the events unfolded, introduce us to the very first family on the earth. We call them the, the Adam's family. We're introduced to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, and the Bible tells us in the verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Adam, remember, was made in the very image of God. His wife was called Eve, the, the mother of all living. And there was a time when Adam and Eve had two sons born into the family, Cain and Abel. You're familiar with the story. Adam and Eve lost two sons in one day. One son was murdered. His name was Abel. Abel was murdered by his brother, whose name was Cain. Why? Because God accepted Abel's sacrifice or offering and didn't accept Cain. Cain brought the work of his hands, not the blood sacrifice that was required, and God would not accept his offering. And as a result of Cain's sin, he was driven from Eden to be a vagabond, to be a wanderer all his days. And I have no doubt that these events would have plunged the first family into a state of great sin and grief and pain. This, of course, was the outworking of sin or the consequence of sin. This dark crime, this first murder, can be traced back to men born in sin and shaping in iniquity. Remember what we read in the book of Romans, Romans 5 and verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man, that was Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Remember, it was Adam's disobedience that gave birth to sin in the first place and opened the door then to all forms of evil, including death. Adam was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. The Bible tells us that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord in verse 16. He dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. He then took a wife. He built a city. He bore Enoch. And called the name of that city after the name of his son. Cain and his descendants were involved in building a world without God. God was not in all their thoughts. They had left God out of their lifestyle. They had no fear or regard for God or the things of God. We could really say that Cain and his descendants really represent all the wicked, godless unbelievers in the world. And these godless, wicked unbelievers formed a kingdom all of their own. It was really a, a kingdom without God. I want you to think now of Adam and Eve. Remember, they've lost two sons in one day. One to murder and one who had become a wanderer and a vagabond in the eyes of God. And they're probably asking the question, how will the covenant promise of God be fulfilled? Remember what God had said to them in Genesis 3 and 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his seed. That's the first gospel promise. And they probably thought, how is it going to be fulfilled now? 
we have lost both sons. And the answer to that was found in the arrival of another son. His name was Seth. It says, and Adam knew his wife, verse 25 of Genesis 4, again. And she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, she saith, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. The name Seth means appointed. Or securely founded. Or firmly fixed. And if you look at Genesis 4 and verse 25 and the wording. I believe that Eve believed and felt that Seth himself. Given the limited knowledge that you had. Was God's promised seed to defeat evil in the world. Eve had faith I'm sure in the very promises of God. The, the promise and plans of God will be fulfilled. God hasn't forgotten his promise. God hasn't dashed his promise in pieces. And we're told in Genesis 4 verse 26. And to Seth to him also there was born a son. And he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Some commentators see Genesis 4 verse 26 as the first mention of prayer in the Bible and we can't apply it that way and we did that on Wednesday night in the prayer meeting. Others see Genesis 4 26 a reference to the first great revival in the Bible when there was an awakening of interest in the things of God especially in man's relationship with God. If you look at the margin it says then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. There's a marginal reading to call themselves by the name of the Lord. In other words, there was identification with the living and the true God. That was the way the Reverend David Brown took it at the minister's week of prayer. And of course, let's remember that every true revival from the beginning of time that was born of God was born as a result of real intercessory prayer for divine intervention. In other words, there was a man calling on God for his help and his blessing on grace. And having come home from the minister's week of prayer, having thought about Genesis 4.26 because it was in my mind, there's another way of looking at it. And that is taking it in its context, and allowing it to teach us vital lessons about spiritually calling on the name of the Lord. Or, or sinners calling on the name of the Lord in a wicked and evil day. Calling on the name of the Lord is a very precious activity. It's a sign of a work of grace in men's hearts. It's a work that can only be produced by the Holy Spirit himself. And that's what I want us to think about tonight. I want us to think of the words, Then began men to call on the name of the Lord. And I want us to see it as a precious activity, as a sign of a work of grace, a work produced by the Holy Spirit, as we think of sinners in a wicked day calling on God for salvation and deliverance. So I want to keep the text in its context. And um, I want us to see it as a sign of genuine religion in the world. 
Notice firstly the occasion that prompted men to call. If you look at the text, it says, Then began men to call. Underline the word then. Because in the Hebrew, the word then is hotan, which means at that time, and I know very little Hebrew, but I learned that from Dr. John Douglas. It, it means a precise point in time. It's associated with the time when Enos was born. And we get asked ourselves, well, why then did men began to call upon the name of the Lord? In that day, when Seth had a son and the name was given, he was given a specific name. A name that meant something. A name, I believe, that was sending out a very powerful, poignant, yet powerful message. You see, the name Enos, or Enosh, whatever way you want to put it, it's a Hebrew name and it means mortality or mortal frailty. Now, now think of that. Enos means mortal man, a weak, frail individual, an individual subject to death. I believe Seth chose that name deliberately. I believe he chose it wisely. I believe he was sending out a reminder to the whole of the human family at that time that man is mortal, that man is weak, that man is dying as a result of sin. You see, there's a message in that name. Mortal man is dying. Mortal man is subject to death. Remember at the very beginning of time, they have no Bible like we have. They have, they have no written revelation. The first five, five books of Moses hadn't been handed down yet. But I believe the Lord spoke in very distinct and direct ways. There was certainly verbal revelation of God to man. But God, I believe, also spoke in the names that were appointed to individuals. Adam, for example, we, we look upon that as the name of the first man, a, 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 an individual name, and that's right. But, but the name Adam is also a generic name. In other words, it, it's, a, it's a, a name that represents the whole of humanity. Adam means mankind or humanity. And um, Enos, when he was given the name Enos, Mortal frailty was reminding the inhabitants of the earth of a port and truth that man that is born of woman is born to die. If you link this up tonight with Genesis 5, if you read the whole of Genesis 5, you'll discover something. You'll discover three words in the chapter, and they're these, and he died. Verse 5, and he died. And again in verse 8, and he died. And again in verse 11, and he died. Verse 14, and he died. And again in 17, and he died. And again in 20, 
and he died. We read it again in verse 27, and he died. And again in 31, and he died. Do, do you see that tonight? Isn't that significant? Men, even though men live a long time, and there was such a, a length of longevity then for individual lives, this was true for the ungodly line of the Canaanites. Yes, they would live a long time, but one day they would die. It's also true for the godly line of the Sethites. They were going to learn the lesson that mortal and frail man, one day he's going to die. One of the names that's mentioned here was Methuselah. We read this, and Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God, and he begat Methuselah 300 years, and begat sons and daughters. Now we'll pause there. You see the name Methuselah? He, of course, was the oldest man that ever lived, but his name means ascending forth. His name means ascending forth of something that was going to destroy the earth, which I believe was a reference to the flood. And even though he lived well over 960 years, we read, and he died. And when you study the Bible, Enos, when he was born, was sending out the message of mortal frailty. And it was to the whole of the inhabitants of the earth. And that was the very occasion of his birth that prompted men to begin to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, if we were to study Genesis chapter 4 tonight, from verse 16 right through to verse uh, 24, you would discover the generations on from Cain. And you have here in the study evidence of the rejection of God. Genesis chapter 4, verse 16 to 24, is all about the age of progress without God. The Cainites, Cain and his descendants, building a new world, but it's a world without God. It's a world of self-focus. It's, it's a world of man's achievements without God. Architecture's here. Cain built a city and he called it after the name of his son, Enoch. And there's the world of agriculture here. There's also the world of invention. Things of brass and iron and you can have to think about engineering and you, you can think about new things being made. There's the um, world of music. There's mention of the harp and the organ. It's a world of violence and immorality. It's all here. It's, it's a world of literature and poetry. You've got the words of Lamech in chapter 4 and verse 23. For I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged seventyfold truly Lamech. Seventy and sevenfold. These words are a form of poetry. This is what men said about Lamech. This is the song that they sung. You see, this is a materialistic age in a so-called civilized world where there's tremendous technology in advance, but it's all without God. A life where individuals are consumed with things. A life where individuals are going their own way and thinking, we're going to live forever. 
See, they're trying to undo the curse of life without God. They're really saying, we're not mortal. We're not weak. We're not frail. We're not going to face God in the judgment. They were saying this. They were thinking this in their heart and mind. They were clinging to the things of the world. But one man said different. That man's name was Enos. And when he was born, he was sending out a message. Man is frail. Man is weak. Man is mortal. One day man will die. One day man will have to leave it all. He brought nothing into the world. And would take nothing out of the world. Remember in Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus told the parable of the rich farmer. This farmer had said, I will say to my soul, take thine ease, and so on and so forth. He's going to pull down his barns and build bigger. And, and, and what did the Lord Jesus say? Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. In other words, you're frail. You're mortal. You're going to die. You're going to leave it all behind. This witness of Enos, it was manifest in the midst of this evidence of rejection of God. I want you to think also very quickly of the effects of this rejection of God. Because as man advanced without God, there was an explosion of immorality and an explosion of wickedness. There's, there's defiance of God. Let me just prove that. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod in the east of Eden. Cain, remember, was cursed to be a wanderer throughout the earth. But he decided, I'm not going to be a wanderer. I'm going to be a city builder. It says in verse 17, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived, and bare Enoch. And he, that's Cain, builded a city. And he named that city after his son, Enoch. Now what was he saying? The name of Cain's going to live on. I'm going to be remembered. He's really defying God. He was leaving a legacy. I named the city after my son. Cain, I believe, was full of pride. It says he went out from the presence of the Lord. And where did he dwell? In the land of Nod. Now where's Nod? On the east of Eden. Isn't that interesting? Why the east of Eden? Why not the west? Why not the north? Well, why not the south? Remember what we read in Genesis chapter 3 verse 24. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. You see the cherubims at the east of Eden were symbols of the holiness of God. And they were there as a reminder of God's punishment for sin. And Cain built a city right at the east of Eden in defiance of that message. In defiance of the punishment of sin. Cain and his descendants, I believe, advanced in sin and wickedness. You think of this other character called Lamech. Verse 19, and Lamech took unto him two wives. He, he introduced polygamy into the world. He, he was guilty of immorality and sensuality. He, he was full of boastful pride. This was all contrary to the mind and will of God. Remember what we read in Genesis 2 and in the verse um, at 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. 
there was not only an explosion of polygamy and sensuality, but this was a perversion of culture. Lamech even wrote a song to celebrate his wickedness. He was guilty of violence. There was the death of a man, a young man. He had been hurt and wounded in the process. He had the scars to bear his name. For I have slain a man to my wounding. And a young man to my hurt. He, he, he was taking pride in that. There, there, there was bloodshed here. Someone has said, and rightly, that the greatest explosion and extent of man's wickedness can be seen. Not among the lower classes of society. Not among the working class but especially among the upper echelons of society, the, the governmental circles, those who have money, those in places of power and authority, among the millionaires and billionaires of the world. And don't we see sin reigning and ruling? Don't, don't we see that today in governmental circles, among those that have, have, have powerful wealth at their disposal? Isn't there an explosion today of adultery and homosexuality and, and, and transgender policy? And at that very time, as all this was happening, the evidence of man's rejection and its effects in the world, there was born to Seth a son, a boy by the name of Enos. And there's men in their vileness, Men and their vanity living without God. And what does God do? He sends a message that man is frail, man is weak, man is mortal, man is going to die. Think of Hebrews 9 and 27. And then is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Proverbs 27 and 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. Doesn't the Bible say, today if ye will hear his voice? Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Again, we've got 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Why now? Why today? Because that's the only time we're sure of. So here's the object or the occasion that prompted men to call on God. Notice secondly and quickly, the object that pointed men to call on God. If you look at the text, it says, Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And I want you to notice that the name Lord is in capitals in our authorised version. And when you see the name of the Lord in capitals, it's a reference to Jehovah. It's a reference to the God of the covenant, the God who gave the first gospel promise, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You see, the name of the Lord demands comprehension. Comprehension of all that God is. All that God has revealed himself as creator and maker and redeemer and defender. And for a wonderful divine reason, there was an awakening among men to all that God is. To all that God has revealed himself as creator, maker, redeemer, defender. 
You see, the inference is, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. The inference is that men had not done so before. Up to this point, with this evidence of rejection, a world without God, in this explosion of immorality and violence and all the rest of it, and the effects of that being felt for some time, many generations, there was no calling in God. And not for some time had men called in God. And then one day, after the birth of Enos, men started to call. Men started to cry out. And they did so on the name of the Lord. God is creator. God is maker. God is redeemer. God is defender. See, there had to be an evidence that the Holy Spirit was at work. The Holy Spirit empowered men to call in the name of the Lord. They didn't do it by themselves. I believe this was a great awakening. And I believe it was great to see and witness. And we could have to really say this. It was a day of grace. In this age of materialism, an age of depravity and spiritual darkness, an age of emptiness, men making progress without God, an age of technological advance, an age of song and music, God poured out the Holy Spirit. God revealed himself to men. Men began to call in the name of the Lord. See, I believe that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. And you see, the wonderful thing is this, and we should take encouragement from, the sin of that day is no barrier to the working of the Holy Spirit. Yes, this is a day of great wickedness. But in that day of great wickedness, there was a day of grace. We live in the world, Northern Ireland, the United Kingdom. What needs to happen in our day amid all the great wickedness of this age? We need God to step in. We need God to reveal himself. We need God to come and open men's eyes, to touch men's hearts, and cause men's tongues to call out to him. You see, to call in the name of the Lord speaks of the conviction of sin. Men became convinced that they were sinners and they needed to call on God. It also speaks of their fact that they were convinced of the need of being in a personal relationship with the Lord. If you take the marginal reading, to call themselves by the name of the Lord. They were unashamed to say, we're the Lord's. There's identification here. And it speaks of conversion. That there was a change in lifestyle. We could tie this in tonight to Acts chapter 2. It's wonderful to be able to read in Acts chapter 2. It says, and this was part of Peter's, Peter's sermon, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you know that was in the Bible? Acts 2 and 21, that was part of the sermon that, that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He was urging people to call in the name of the Lord. And he was assuring them if they did, that they would be saved. We, we know from the rest of the reading, verse 22 right down to verse 35, 36, Peter preached about Christ, his personal work, his life, his sinless life, his atoning death, his bodily resurrection, his, his coming again into the world. And if you look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, we, we read, 
Um, or verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. In other words, be sorry enough to quit your sin. And they baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. As he preached the word about Christ, they were pricked in their heart. Men and brethren, what shall we do? And they were given instruction to repent, to believe the word of the gospel, and to evidence their, their testimony by their public baptism. That was the object that pointed them to call on the Lord. And notice very quickly in closing, the outcome that was produced as men called in the name of the Lord. There was identification. They, 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 they identified and called themselves by the name of the Lord. That, that's the marginal reading. They, they, they're part of the godly line. They were known as the Sethites. They were, they were taking a stand for God. They were speaking for God by their life and by their lip. Also, there was intercession. They were calling on God in prayer. They had realized that God and grace had stepped in in a wonderful way. There was intervention here. Sinners were happily, publicly identifying themselves with the Lord. They realized that the God of all grace is sufficient to, to turn them from their sin. Isn't it wonderful to know that the grace of God is sufficient? Isn't it wonderful to know that the grace makes all the difference. Isn't it wonderful to know that the Lord can pour out grace and bring men into a life of relationship and a life of fellowship with him where they'll worship him, where they'll walk with him, where they'll witness for him? Because that's exactly what was happening here in these words. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And, and this is all the outcome that, that flows from this. And part of that witness that they were witnessing to was this, that sin pays wages. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6 and 23 says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They were witnessing to the fact that after death comes the judgment. Remember Enos, mortal frailty. And when he was born, they got the message. And the message so impacted upon them, they had to live in light of the fact that one day they would die. And they were going to die Unto the Lord. Remember the Lord Jesus said three times. If you die in your sins where I am. There you can't be. How would you like to die? That's a very poignant powerful question isn't it? None of us will know when. We could never predict the circumstances. But I can tell you this. You can die well. You can die in Christ. And that's the only way to die. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. 
And this was part of his outcome. They were identified with the Lord's name. They offered prayer unto the Lord. They were glad of his intervention and grace in their lives. And they were worshipping him from their hearts. They were singing praise to him. They were walking with him as godly individuals amidst a world of ungodliness. And they were witnessing to him. And part of that witness was sin pays wages. So let's repent of sin. Let's put it away and live in light of that day when we'll stand before the Lord and we'll meet him as judge of all the earth. Is that your experience? Is that your testimony tonight? That you're happily to identify yourself with the Lord? You'll call yourself by the name of Christian? You'll, you'll, you'll call upon him in prayer and that will start God be merciful to me the sinner and you'll rejoice in his intervention in your life and intervention in grace and you'll worship and you'll walk and you'll witness for him to the end of time this is a tremendous text of scripture sinners calling upon the name of the Lord on this occasion with their eye on this object the name of the Lord Jehovah God. He's revealed himself in grace to us. He's spoken a message. And here's the outcome. We're glad to identify with him. We'll call upon him. We'll worship and walk and witness for him. May the Lord bless these three remarks to you tonight. I trust that this message will be helpful. We do direct you to the website. We encourage you to direct others to the website. We pray that men will will tune in and they'll find a blessing and help for their own souls.